Palm Sunday, and I want to speak about something that's part of the Palm Sunday story that sometimes we don't think about. And I want to talk to you about the King is coming. The King is coming. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 21, uh, 1 to 11. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Whatever translation you have is fine. I'm glad that you can join with us. It says, as Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sent two of them on ahead. He said, go into the village over there, and as soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with his colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you're doing, just say, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill a prophecy that said, Tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments in the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and all the people around him were shouting, Praise God! For the son of David, blessings on him who comes in the name of the Lord. Her Hosanna. Praise God in the highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? They asked. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. I pray that, Lord, that you would bring it to life. And all of us today, in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, I said this uh, morning is Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter. That reminds us of Jesus coming into the city of Jerusalem with a celebration like no other celebration. This was just days before his arrest and crucifixion, and he came riding on a colt, signifying that he was indeed the promised king and Messiah that was to come. It was a glorious day filled with recognition, praise, shouts, from the large crowd that was receiving Jesus and welcoming him. The reception was worthy of a king, and the whole city was in an uproar and caused many to question, what is going on? And who was this person? Obviously, there was no small celebration taking place because the Bible says the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. What's happening? What's going on? And Jesus, he came into this city riding on a colt to the cheers of the crowd. And it tells us that they laid their coats down in front of him. They even cut palm branches down to lay in front of him just as they would for a king who had been crowned. And this was a familiar practice uh, back then. Uh, if you would look back to the days of King Jehu, Second uh, Kings 9.13, it says, Then they quickly spread out their cloaks on the bare steps, and blew the ram's horn, shouting, Jehu is king. And, and so it was a common practice to see royalty to come into a city like this, and that people understood what it meant. And so as Jesus was coming into this city, people were realizing, hey, something very significant is taking place. There is a king coming into our city. Now, we need to realize some things that, in Jerusalem at this time, they were under Roman rule. And, and in 
in Roman rule, there's no king but Caesar. And so when there was quite a stir in the city from uh, what was taking place, they obviously realized that what was taking place was for kings and dignitaries. And so as Jesus comes to Jerusalem with his procession, we see that he had people behind him, he had people in front of him, and he was in the center, and there was a great celebration that was going on through this city. Now, as you think about that, here is Jesus coming into the city, and basically it's an illegal, illegal assembly of people because here they are welcoming a king while under Roman rule there is no king but Caesar. And so they're basically breaking the law as they were coming into Jerusalem. Some people were looking at, at Jesus as, yes, as the Messiah. They were hoping that he would be the one to do, actually deliver them from the Romans. Others looked on him in fear because they recognized that they could be accused of insurrection with the Romans. And then the religious leaders themselves, they were jealous and worried that, you know, we could lose some power here. We could lose some recognition here. And so when you think about it, there's all kinds of reasons why this processional celebration should not have happened, why it should have been closed down, why it should have been stopped. But nobody did. You would think that the, the Roman legion would have been called out to say, there's a riot, there, there, there's someone trying to claim himself king in Jerusalem, and you would think the Roman legion would have came and disbanded that crowd and, and dealt with Jesus right on the spot. But nobody did. Jesus was receiving his rightful praise as he was celebrated and acknowledged as the king and Messiah of the Jewish people. It must have been an awesome day to observe, especially with the different responses uh, in the crowd. Some people knew what they were doing. Those that came from Bethany, they knew what they were doing. They knew that Jesus was the Messiah. As they came into Jerusalem, the, the people from Jerusalem that knew Jesus, they, they started forming the front of the crowd. They knew what they were doing. They were recognizing Jesus as a Messiah. But there were lots of others in the crowd that they just kind of started joining in with the crowd, doing what the crowd did, kind of similar to what happens today when there's a big crowd of people. People just start you know, getting involved, get caught up in the excitement. They don't even know what they're doing it for, but they just get caught up in the crowd. Well, that's what was happening. There's lots of shouting, lots of noise. There's people worshiping. There's people singing praises. And then there was other people saying, what are we doing here? Who's this person that we're celebrating? Because they didn't know. And so it kind of shows us the crowd mentality that can take place in any gathering where some people actually know why they're there and some people have no clue why they're there. But they get caught up in the excitement. And we see that, you know, there was a lot of people that were caught up in the excitement because they start asking the question near the end of, well, who is this person? Like, who are we celebrating here? Who's this person? And that excitement gradually begins to lower to where people say, oh, this is just Jesus from Nazareth, the prophet. So no longer is he being recognized as the Messiah, as the king. Now he's being reduced back down to just a prophet, just to that, you know, that person from Nazareth that does the miracles. And that's how it happened. That at first they were receiving him as their king, but then gradually that's the tide started to turn. And we know within a week that tide really turned where people were saying, crucify him, 
crucify him. However, on this day, while it lasted, it was about celebrating the true Messiah for who he was, celebrating Jesus for who he really was. And Jesus, he was getting the recognition, he was getting the praise that he deserved in this procession. We call it the triumphant entry, but it was very short. He didn't get crowned king that day. Soon they were going to crucify him. They were going to proclaim that he was the king, but not in a way that everybody expected. And so this morning, I just want to look at this triumphant entry and just look at some of the significance and meaning of this as it took place on that Palm Sunday. So the first thing we see here on Palm Sunday celebration was that Jesus himself was declaring that he was indeed a king and was the fulfillment of Scripture. He doesn't wait for the people to declare it. He declares it himself. You see that in, in verses 4 and 5. It says, this took place to fulfill a prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Now, that comes from the Old Testament and the book of Zechariah. You know, I always find it amazing how people try to, you know, kill that the Old Testament. You know, you don't need the Old Testament. You just need the New Testament. You need the whole book, my friends. It's intertwined together, the whole book of the Bible. And as we see here back in Zechariah 9.9, it talks about this event taking place. And it says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. So interesting with Jesus. He fulfills so many Old Testament scriptures. Really, the Jewish people, if they known the word, they, they should have been ready for him because it was all in there. It was all prophesied in there. And Jesus fills so many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of prophecies fulfilled as Jesus came. And during this procession, Jesus was declaring that he was indeed the king that was promised, that he was indeed the person that fulfilled Scripture. And as he's coming to the end of his ministry here on earth, he was making it clearly known that, yes, I am the king. I, I am the Messiah. I am the one that the world has been looking for and that the Bible has been prophesying. As we look at Matthew's account of the gospel, you'll find that he focused very strongly on the legitimacy of Jesus being the promised king who was to come. And you'll see that right through the entire book that he kind of makes that stress about Jesus being the king. And if you'd look to chapter 1 of Matthew, you would see a detailed lineage of Jesus that shows us that he's actually in the line of King David and therefore has a legitimate right to the throne. But of course, Matthew also points out that it's not just a physical throne or an earthly king, but also a heavenly king. That's who Jesus is. And, you know, I know a lot of times when we read the book of Matthew, we look at that first part and we just turn the page and start reading, you know, chapter two because we don't want to read all those names. But that's what it's in there for. Matthew is wanting to realize Jesus is king. And that's something we all do indeed need to realize. Now, as we look at Matthew's story, even when you look at the Christmas story, and it points to what? Jesus 
being a king. It tells us that the wise men came from the east. And again, they refer to the Old Testament. They refer to the book of Micah that foretold of a ruler that was to come. Oh, you, O Bethlehem, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, and yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are of distant past, will come from you on my behalf. And so again, it's interesting. He keeps putting in the book of Matthew the promises that the king has come. Jesus has come, and he is that king. And then you can look at the gifts that the wise men brought to Jesus that day. They were gifts that were set aside basically for a king, for royalty. And they gave him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So on this Palm Sunday, Jesus is declaring as he's coming, he knows near the end of his ministry on the earth that he was the promised king. Not only was he declaring it, the people were also now declaring it. They were shouting, they were praising uh, God for the king that had come. They were honoring him. They were laying their, they were taking their coats off and, and laying them on the ground as he came that the, he would walk over uh, on that uh, donkey. They were putting down palm branches, laying them down in front. All those things were meant to honor an individual. And here's what they said in Luke chapter 19, 38. says, blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory and the highest heaven. So we need to realize that even the people that day were recognizing Jesus as king. They were proclaiming him as king until it kind of came to the end where it was all over. Then people start, you know, th- seeing other things. They, oh, no, no, that, he's not king. He's just Jesus. He's just that guy from Nazareth. He's just that guy that does miracles. He's just that prophet guy. But as it was taking place, they were acknowledging him as the rightful king. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And so Jesus was getting the rightful honor that he was due for those few hours, declaring that he was indeed the king who had come. And then secondly, this Palm Sunday reminds us that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the promised Savior. Matthew 21, 9, Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, praise God. For the son of David, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heavens. And again, this was another declaration of a messianic passage, a passage that talks about Jesus in the Old Testament. Again, the Old Testament being brought into the New Testament. And they were shouting uh, things like Hosanna and praises unto God. And Hosanna just basically means the Lord saves. And they were referring to Jesus that he's the one who is going to save them. So they're acknowledging him as the Messiah that would save them. Unfortunately, many of them kind of headed a little bit messed up. They were only looking for a Messiah that would save them from the Romans and not necessarily a Messiah that would save them from their sins. The portion of Scripture referred to goes back to Psalm 118, verses 25, 26. It says, please, Lord, please save us. Please, Lord, please give us success. Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. See, there was people there that day. They understood what the scriptures were saying. And they were acknowledging Jesus that he was the fulfillment of what the scriptures were saying. That he was indeed the Messiah 
the very Son of God who was sent into the world to be the Savior of all. And it's interesting to note that the Pharisees, they understood what was going on here as well, but yet they refused to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, and which is really sad to think. Here are the people that actually know. They knew the Scriptures. They knew what was being said that very day of who Jesus was, and they chose to say, no, it can't be. It can't be. We, we just can't go there. And they refused to believe that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was the actual Messiah. And, and we see this response by them in Luke chapter 19, 39, which is another account of this story. And it says, but some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. They understood exactly what the people were saying, but they chose not to to believe. This triumphant entry was going to be Jesus' last celebration before his heavenly banquet that's going to come when Jesus returns again. So Jesus is declared, he's celebrated by the people to be the Messiah, the promised one on this occasion. He is considered the Savior. That's kind of an appropriate response that we're seeing here is that people acknowledge the word of God, they apply the word of God to Jesus, they recognize that Jesus is the fulfillment of scripture, and so he's given the praise that he deserved, even though it was only for a short period of time. Which brings us to the third thing from this story. Palm Sunday reminds us that Jesus is worthy of our praise. Because after all, he is the king. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. He's a person that is worthy of our praise. Matthew 21, 9 says, Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. And again, you know, the people at that time, they were doing what they were supposed to be doing. They were acknowledging him only even if it was for a short time, that he was the king, that he was the Messiah, that he was worthy of praise. He was worthy of praise from all of heaven. And that's what they did. Kind of reminds us in our own worship times as we take the time to praise the Lord, how important it is for us to worship the Lord, to join in. We shouldn't have to wait till, you know, we get stirred up in a song or we like a particular song. It just should be an immediate response that we just start to praise him that we just start to worship him as we recognize, I am here today to worship the king. I am here today to worship the Lord of lords. I am here today to worship my Lord and my Savior. The scriptures declare over and over again that Jesus is always worthy of our praise. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, 21. He says, now he is far above, let's talk about Jesus, any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. He's worthy of our praise because there is no one higher than him. I know sometimes people get talked about, oh, well, the devil, he's the prince of this world. Well, the prince doesn't have the power. The king does. And Jesus is the king. And he has all authority, all power. He's a leader over all things not only in this world, but in the world to come. So when we talk about Jesus, we're talking about the very, very top of the top. And again, the Pharisees, they recognize that these praises 
We're acknowledging Jesus as Messiah. And again, they tried to come to Jesus and say, you got to stop this. Do you realize what's happening here? These people are praising you and giving glory to you because they think you're the Messiah. Isn't that interesting? But I love Jesus' response in Luke chapter 19, 40. It says, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones along the road will burst into cheers. Jesus was telling the creation itself will start praising God if the people don't do it. And I sometimes think about that when we have our times of praise that, listen, I don't want the chairs to start crying out, Jesus, you're worthy of our praise. I don't want the carpet to start Because the Bible says that creation will praise him. I don't want to let some rock take my place in that area of praise. I want to make sure that I'm the one praising him. I want to make sure that I use my voice to worship him, to exalt him, to praise him because he is worthy of all of our praise. He is the very son of God who came into our world to save us from our sin and restore us into a relationship with our heavenly father. Then lastly, as we come to Jesus, we see that he is also the returning king. Here in Palm Sunday, he was introduced as a promised king that was to come. And he came riding on a donkey's colt, 21 verse 5 of Matthew. Look, your king is coming to you. He's humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. As we already said, it was a common practice back then for for kings and royalties to to ride in times of peace upon a colt or, uh, or on a donkey. They didn't come into a city threatening people, but rather more in a celebration form. And that's what Jesus was doing. He was coming in and peaceful. He was coming in as the prince of peace, coming into Jerusalem. Now, Jesus could have called 10,000 angels. He could have uh, just forcibly took over and became king right there. But he came in peace. He came and he humbled himself, riding on that donkey instead of riding on a white horse. He came to be the sacrifice for our sins, to restore relationships with God. He came to be on a cross, to go to the cross for us, to be the sacrifice for us. As we said, a lot of the people that day, they were excited about a Messiah, but many of them were only thinking about themselves. And sometimes that happens with us as well. We're only thinking about ourselves. We're not thinking about the bigger picture. Jesus was more than just a king that was, could relieve these people from the oppression of Romans. He was a, a king that could set them free from oppression of sin and of this world. But they missed that part. They soon lost their excitement, and within the week we see that their view had changed so much that now they're crying, crucify him. Another procession is going down the streets of Jerusalem. But this time, it's not a good procession. He's carrying a cross, and they're crying out to him. They're not acknowledging him anymore as the Messiah. Rather, they're, they're saying, crucify him. Let's kill him. Let's get rid of him. Because he wasn't the kind of Messiah they thought they need it. But thankfully, the Bible also says this king will return. And when he returns, he'll be given the opportunity for people to accept him or reject him. And the Bible tells us that as he comes back into Jerusalem, this time there's going to be many 
people, Israelites, that are going to receive him as the Messiah. And when he returns, though, there's going to be a difference about the procession. He's not coming in peace this time. He's coming as a conqueror. He's coming riding on a white horse, coming to receive his bride, the church, and to usher in his kingdom with judgment and with wrath. There'll be no more second chances. You can see that in Revelation chapter 19. It says, Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty like juice flowing from a wine press. And on his robe, at his thigh were written this title, King of all kings, Lord of all lords. So really this Palm Sunday, there was a recognition that Jesus was the king. But it soon people realized that's not the kind of king I was looking for. And they rejected him. But he's coming again for a people that are ready to receive him. He's coming for a church that is ready to meet him. And the sound of the trumpet, I believe, is already sounding out there to tell people it's time to get ready. It's time to get ready. He's not returning this time as a lowly king. He's not returning this time riding on a, a donkey's colt, but he's riding on a white horse as victor, conqueror, king of all kings. That's something that we need to remember. And it's interesting as you read this book of Matthew and you read the verses that happen after that, one of the things that we see Jesus did immediately after that procession, he went to the temple and he set things straight. He went into the temple and he cleansed the temple. He got rid of those that were in there for the wrong reasons. And he told them this house should be a house of prayer. I really believe that's like a foreshadowing of what Jesus is doing even now before his coming, that he's getting this church ready. The bride needs to be ready. The bride needs to take care of some things and make some things right that they might be ready for their king. There's all kinds of stories in the Bible that tell us that we need to be ready. The church needs to be ready. We need to prepare ourselves. It talks about the ten virgins where five were ready and five were not ready. They all knew, they all believed, but only five were ready and the other five were not. The parable of the great feast that also follows here talks about a wedding banquet, talking really about the marriage of the Lamb that where there's going to be a great celebration in heaven. And Jesus is telling people that, go out and tell the people that I've invited, it is now ready. So invitations had already gone out. People had all received. People already acknowledged that, yes, I will come to this banquet. And to me, that speaks of people uh, accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior and saying, yes, Lord, I receive you. You're my Lord. You're my Savior. But then it tells us that 
Jesus says, okay, the time is now. And they say, oh, I'm too busy. God, God I, I got this thing over here I got to take care of. I got this over here that I need to take care of. And it tells us that they don't respond to the invitation that they already said they were going to come. But they choose not to. And the Bible says, then Jesus says, then I want invitations to be sent out into all the world. Go in the highways and the byways and tell people to come. That's why I believe there's going to be a harvest before the return of Christ. Because the Lord is looking at people that have rejected him. They know the truth. They said that they believe, but they really don't. And so he says there's going to be a harvest of people. Invitations are going to be coming. And many are going to come to Jesus Christ and be part of that wedding feast. That's something that's very, very important. But also in those stories, he also talks about, do you have the right clothes on? Are you ready for that banquet? You know, I wore a suit here today. Well, a suit doesn't get me into heaven. But the Bible does say that you need to have proper clothing if you're going to come into heaven. You need to have robes that have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. It's kind of an interesting thing. It says that you're washed in the blood. Well, blood is red, and yet our robes are white. And it says that the blood turns those robes entirely white. Isn't that amazing? But that's what Jesus is telling us here. He wants his banquet room to be full before his return. But please heed the warning that those who are not ready, those who have accepted the invitation, have replied, and yet chose not to come, Jesus says there will be no room for them. They will be thrown into eternal darkness. See, as Jesus returns, grace is over, friends. Second chances are over. He's coming to receive a church that is ready, which is stressing the necessity of each one of us to be ready when the trumpet sounds, whenever that day might be. Again, as you just keep reading in the book of Matthew, it gets into Matthew 24 where it says, you also must be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when least expected. Jesus is coming again, friends, but he's coming as a conqueror, a victor. He's coming as the king of all kings. He's coming as the Lord of all lords. And the Bible says every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that, yes, Jesus, you are Lord. You are Lord. So Palm Sunday doesn't just remind me that Jesus was the king. It reminds me he still is the king and that he is coming again. And there's going to be another procession. And this time he's not coming as a lowly Jesus. He's coming as the King of kings and Lord of lords, riding on a white horse with an army of believers and angels coming with them. And friend, I trust you're ready for that coming king because the royal procession is about to begin. So friends, as we close, Palm Sunday really is an important day because it reminds us that Jesus is the king. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one who fulfills Scripture. Jesus is worthy of our praise. And Jesus is the soon and returning King. I trust you're ready for that coming. I trust you're ready because the King is coming. And I really believe that that day is very, very close. And he's sending out invitations right now. And there's people that are saying, no, no, I'm too busy, God. 
I don't have time for you anymore. I once served you, but I can't do that anymore. You watch, just look at COVID, something as simple as COVID. They tell us that 30% of our church people will not return. Isn't that sad? I think we need to be praying against that. We need to be praying that all will return, that all will serve the Lord. We need to be praying that. I don't want to see people lost. I want to see all saved. That's God's desire. He wants all to be saved. But he does give an invitation, and he gives a warning to say, I'm coming soon. Be ready. Be ready for that coming. Church, I want to tell you today, the king is coming. That should excite you. That should be something where you would say, welcome, Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. We welcome you here today. You know, a lot of times when I'm in here and I'm praying by myself and I just sense his presence, a lot of times I, I just envision in my mind that there's angels all lined up. And when we had our center aisle, we don't have a center uh, aisle here, but uh, that there's like uh, angels lining and waiting for Jesus to come through those doors. And sometimes I, I, I just start to gaze at those doors and I want Jesus says, are you coming in? Is there a visitation that's going to take place here? And I often pray that. I found it interesting that other people in this church have come to me and have kind of told me that, you know, Pastor, I kind of felt the, the same kind of thing. Or, Pastor, you know, I actually, I did see angels. I really do. That There's going to be a visitation that is going to take place before he returns because he wants his church to be ready. God wants us to be ready. I want to be ready. And I welcome him. I often pray as I'm in here and I, I, I sense that. And I say, Jesus, I want you to know you are welcome in this place. You are welcomed in this church. I welcome you in this church. I welcome you into my heart. I welcome you into my life. But I sense when I have those times there, I really sense that God wants to come in the church. And if you read the, uh, the message to the churches and the revelations what does Jesus say to the church? He says, behold, I stand at the door and I'm knocking. I want to come into the church. I want to come in and visit the church. I want to come in and have a visitation. But you got to open the door. you got to welcome him in. you got to be ready. And I really believe that's what Jesus wants to do. I believe there's a visitation that is coming to this church. I believe there's a visitation that's coming to our churches around the world if they're ready, if they'll welcome it, because he's coming soon. And so he's sending out his messengers to say, get ready. The time of your response where you said you would come is nearing, and you need to be ready to leave whatever you're doing and come to the banquet. Are we ready? Are we ready? Lord Jesus, as we close here this morning, every one of us wants to be ready. And we do acknowledge you, Lord, as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The very fact that, Lord, we are here today in this church, the very fact that we're watching online and being part of this church shows to us that, Lord, yes, we do believe. And yes, Lord, we want you to come. And yes, Lord, we will receive you. Yes, Lord, we will be ready. And Lord, if there's anything in us that, Lord, maybe is starting to rise up that, could squeeze you out, then, Lord, I pray, show it to us. Because we don't want anything, Lord, to come into our lives that would take us away from you. 
So, Lord, I, I pray we welcome your cleansing today. We welcome your touch. And that, Lord, they might serve you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We want to be ready. And, Father, we want to pray for those uh, as well that are not ready right now. Lord, we all can think of, of people that have responded to the invitation of Jesus. But for one reason or another reason, they're not serving you anymore. They don't love you anymore. They're doing other things that seem more important to them than you are. And so, Lord, we would pray once again that, Lord, you would bring the backslider home. You would bring them back into the kingdom, Lord Jesus. Lord, we pray that none would be lost. Just as you prayed over the disciples, you prayed that, Father, none would be lost. And so, God, we want to pray for that as well, that none would be lost and that you would draw people that have walked away or grown cold or whatever reason has happened in their life. I pray for fresh encounters with Jesus, with each and every one of those individuals. And Father, we also pray as we realize that, Lord, you're, you're calling out into the highways and the byways and you're telling people it's time to respond. It's time to come. And so, Lord, as you're doing that, we pray that, Lord, there'd be a reception of many people that would respond. We think of our own community here in the Lakeland region, that, Lord, there'd be thousands and thousands and thousands of people that would say, yes, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. I'm going to change my life. I'm going to turn things around, and I'm going to serve you, God. I'm going to be ready for your coming. And, God, I, I pray that we will find favorable responses all over the land where people will start acknowledging Jesus where they start bending the knee and say, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King, Jesus is our Savior. And I pray that, Father, in the name of Jesus, we come against every assignment of the enemy, every stronghold of the enemy, Lord, that has come against the church, and Lord, to discourage the church, try to destroy the church. Lord, even COVID, that is, in many ways has tried to destroy the effectiveness of the church. But Lord, your word says the gates of hell will not prevail. And so, Lord, we pray, build your church. Make it strong, Lord. Join us together, Lord. Help us to put aside, our, Lord, our, our, our opinions and our thoughts to come together and to worship the Lord and to give him praise and, and to concentrate on people that need to come to Jesus. So, Lord, we do welcome you. Lord, I welcome you in this church. I welcome your visitation to come into this church, Lord Jesus. Lord, I know I don't just stand here saying that as an individual. I know that, Lord, this congregation joins with me to say, Jesus, we welcome you into this church. We welcome a visitation from you. And, Lord, we pray that visitation would not just be in this church building, but, Lord, it would be in this whole area. And, Lord, in whatever other churches are praying that the same thing, that, Lord, there are areas that, Lord, you would visit that whole area where we would see people come to the Lord Jesus. Father, I thank you for this season of the year that we are reminded of a Savior that has come. We're reminded of a King that has come. Being a lowly servant, humbling himself, being born into this world, going to a cross for us, dying for our sins, restoring fellowship with God. I thank you that we have a God that loves us so much. Thank you, Lord. I thank you that we have a king. And we submit ourselves to this king, King Jesus, Lord of lords, king of kings, rulers of rulers, our soon returning king. Thank you, Lord.
And Lord, there be those folks here today or maybe people are watching us today and they're kind of saying, Pastor, I don't think I'm ready. This scares me. Then, Father, I, I just pray that, Lord, they would just simply open up their hearts and say, Jesus, you know me better than anybody else. You know my thoughts and what's going on in my head right now. Lord, I want to be ready. Help me to be ready. Forgive me of my sins. Lord, forgive me for chasing my own dreams and my own ways and putting them ahead of you. God, I just come back to you. I want to be ready. I want to respond to you. And Lord, as people do that, I know that God, you'll forgive. Lord, you'll welcome them with open arms. Because now is the day of salvation. If we keep waiting, it may be too late. Today's the day to say, Jesus, you're my king.